It was an essential tool I used to lose 70 pounds and keep it off. If done right, a low-carb or keto diet is a powerful tool to not only lose weight, but it can boost your energy, clear up your brain fog, and a lot more. Admittedly, it's not for everyone and is often trashed by critics calling it a fad diet that's unhealthy, unsustainable, and too restrictive. Our guest disagrees. Cheryl McColgan is the founder and editor of Heal, Nourish, Grow. She'll share why she's a keto advocate and offer strategies to improve your diet, your sleep, your habits, and why using the language of a healthy person will train you to become one. This is The Fit Mess, conversations with world-class experts in the fields of mental, physical, and emotional health. In this episode, let's look at the standard American diet. That diet is based on no studies either mm-hmm. or garbage studies. And let's look at what that diet has done to people. Yeah. How mm-hmm. successful has that been? Yeah. You would have a hard time convincing me that eating a diet of whole foods, meat and vegetables, which is what we evolved to eat. I don't understand how people can think that's unhealthy. Now here are your hosts, Zach and Jeremy. Welcome to The Fit Mess. Thanks so much for listening while you're doing whatever it is you're doing right now. I'm Jeremy and he's Zach and together we're two vulnerable guys helping you overcome struggles to achieve your mental and physical wellness goals. And if you're sick of your own shit and you're ready to make a change, you're in the right place. Thank God. (laughs) I know we all need it. I was really just talking to myself (laughs) today. Today we're talking about healthy habits to improve your sleep, replacing bad habits with good ones and why intermittent fasting and the keto diet might be worth considering if what you're eating now isn't helping you reach your health goals. And Jeremy... You've done keto, right? Exactly. You were actually the one that introduced this to me a few years ago. I I was in the beginning of my wellness journey. I'll never forget sitting by a campfire with you, just having our coffee. We were camping and and seeing you showed me your weight loss trend on whatever the app was you were using to to track your, your fitness. And I asked what the fuck you were doing to drop so much weight so quickly. And you mentioned that keto was what you're doing. And and it started me on a path to fewer carbs and more movement. And eventually that, that loss of 70 pounds. And now, years later, it's been, I think, four or five years, there was still about 20 pounds that I want to get rid of. And for the last few years, I keep going, ah, oh, why can't I just, I just got to get motivated. I got to exercise more. I got to do something. And if I just look at my own history, I go, oh, well, that worked. Why don't, why don't I just do that again? So I'm easing myself into it. As a vegetarian, it's not an easy thing to do, but I'm just trying to limit the amount of carbs. I'm, I'm doing, again, what I did the first time, starting with hitting a target of no more than 100 grams of carbs a day. I haven't hit that target yet, but I'm working on it. I'm easing my way into it. But yeah, but yeah it, it has been super successful for me, and I know it was for you too. Yeah, no, I, I really loved keto, and we are not a proponent of any particular diet. As a matter of fact, we don't like diets. We like eating healthy and eating right for yourself and and eating for a lifestyle, right? You're not going to go eat one way for a month and then go back to your crappy eating, right? It's just, it's about balance and sustainability. However, the chemical changes that happen in my body when I eat keto, when I eat, you know, less than 30 grams of carbs a day caused reduced inflammation in my body. It removed my brain fog on top of the fact that I lost a ton of weight and I got like really cut and I saw my abs for the first time. That was a cool bonus, but I just felt awesome. And I actually committed to eating, you know, keto for the rest of my life at that point. Turns out I've got a genetic marker that prevents me from eating keto because it spikes my cholesterol to a point that's a little bit dangerous, but you know, 
that's unfortunate for me. And, and keto we, is awesome. And we, and we should say, if this is something that you're seriously considering, it's don't take our word for it. It's definitely worth talking to a medical professional and, and getting your blood work done and making sure that it's something safe for you to do because it, it was, it was dangerous for you, but, but you figured out a way to correct that course and, and things are, are good for you now. I'll never forget the, like you said, the clarity that I had in my mind, just the, I was able to focus in ways that I never could before. And my entire relationship with food changed. Like I would have to force myself mm-hmm. to eat twice a day because the one meal I would eat after working out in the middle of the day, I was full and mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I was getting enough calories. So I would eat a second meal at dinner just to make sure I was getting the calories I needed. But additionally, I would walk by the snack trays in the office where there would be all kinds of just garbage that before, of course, you'd just grab a handful of wheat thins or whatever the thing was. And that food that that processed boxed garbage food didn't even look like food anymore. The mm. concept of thinking I'm going to eat that was just erased because yeah. my, my body just had grown so accustomed to not eating that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, but also don't get me wrong. Like even on keto, right. You still have like calories count. They always count. Mm-hmm. Even on keto, you can eat too many calories. Yes. It's hard because the way, the way keto works is, it actually keeps you full and satiated. So it is hard to go over your calories, but at the same time you can. And I got to tell you, like the, when I did keto, the first time I did keto, it was not a common name. Nobody talked about keto. Mm -hmm. I had to scour the internet for all the the information on it. And now there's like keto products out there. And if you look really closely at them, like that keto product is only keto. If that's the only thing you consume for that day. Right. Right. It, it has like under 30 grams of carbs in it, but that's all you can eat for the day to stay in ketosis. And there's a very, again, we'll, we'll get into some of the more details, but like keto is, it's very binary. You're either eating keto or you're not. I overheard somebody once talking about brownies that they made and they're like, and they're keto brownies. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. And then she's like, yeah, I'm trying to eat keto-ish. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. You're either eating keto or you're not like, there's no middle ground with this diet. So like I subscribe to the 80, 20 rule where 80% of the time I eat good, healthy food, 20% of the time it's garbage. Mm-hmm. That's not how you do keto. You it's, have to be. Yeah. All it's, the time. it's not how you do keto and it's not how you get into ketosis. If, if you're bending those rules and, and fudging outside those numbers. But I will say from my experience, even being above the, the keto numbers, eating a lower carb diet certainly helped me. I mean, that it, it kept burning the fat the way that I needed it to. Maybe not as fast as, as if I had been super strict and under 25, 30 grams of carbs. But I do know, and there, there will be endless debate, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. Like, I'm not telling anyone how to eat. I'm telling you that in my experience, the fewer carbs I eat, the healthier I am and the better I feel. So mm-hmm. you can get super extreme with that, or you can just cut them back a little bit. In my case, it helped. So if you haven't done that, I would recommend maybe giving it a try. Certainly talking to uh, an actual expert uh, to make sure that you're doing the right thing for your own body. Again, you just, keto, keto is just weird because uh, again, even if you're doing like the whole, if you're, if you're doing what you're saying, like eating hundred grams of carbs per day, the rest of your calories have to come from somewhere. And if the rest of your calories are coming from fat and you're not actually in ketosis, 
then you might have a bit of an issue. So mm -hmm. definitely talk to medical professional, dietitian, somebody who is well-versed in keto and maybe even has some background on your medical history to know whether or not you should be doing this. Like if you're a type one diabetic, don't do keto. It'll send right. you in ketoacidosis and be a big problem. So like big warnings here, but it, if you're type one diabetic, it can be very dangerous, but that's the only population where a keto diet is dangerous off the bat. All right. Well, so since we've now rambled about our experience with keto and all of our warnings and, and issues with keto, let's talk to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> that's a good idea, right? Let's get the expert on here because that's not what we are. And you know what? She might even tell you something different than what we just told you. So she's the expert. Listen to her, not, not us. Our guest today is Cheryl McColgan. She's the founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. And we asked her about her own health journey that led her to where she is today. There's a lot of cancer in my family. So I got very focused on doing some practices and things and some changes in my life to try to hopefully prevent those sort of major diseases later on. But then also just in the meantime, feeling better, feeling healthier, feeling more energetic and just trying to basically just keep walking the walk, you know, <laughs> all these years of yoga and meditation and uh, was a runner for 17 years. So all these years and years of healthy practices, you got to keep it up. It's got to stay consistent to stay healthy. And what had happened was I was in a very demanding job at the time. I was traveling all over the world, producing tech conferences, and that definitely contributed to a period of my life where I was experiencing more ill health. So just had to kind of step back from all that and recommit myself to making sure that I did all the things that I need to do to stay healthy. All of the things are a lot of things for a, a lot of people. I know that I have a hard time staying consistent with all of the things on my list. I try to stick to as many of them as I can, but narrowing down just a few, if there, if there's someone who's out there, who's just thinking like, man, my, my life is just a mess. I've got to figure some things out. I've got to start doing some things better. Where do they start? Where are the simplest places to begin to start living that better life to, to ward off those future diseases and issues we're going to have? What are some of the simple steps that you would tell someone who's just kind of starting out now? So whenever I work with people on changing habits, that's a big focus of mine, my degrees in psychology and my minors in addiction studies. And so that's also been part of something that I've been very focused on over the years. And definitely my biggest tip is to start small because it can be very overwhelming. So if you think, oh, I have to do all of the things right now, you're probably not going to be very successful with that. So it's maybe picking one thing and maybe based on what your either your biggest health problem is or what your biggest goal is. So for a lot of the people that I communicate with and work with, it's weight loss is a big one. And that's kind of their primary goal. So if that's the case, then it might be looking at your nutrition first. And if you're looking at your nutrition, starting to make small choices, make one better choice every day. The thing that I think are the biggest culprits that people could easily cut out and feel a big effect is not drinking your calories. So not drinking regular sodas or alcohol to excess. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big wine lover. I'm not going to say that I never do that, but anytime you can moderate that a little better, you don't want to drink your calories. So that's probably one of the best places to start. And it's a, a very simple thing that most people can pretty easily do because at least initially they can sub in diet sodas if they still need that. Now, long-term, I do think that that has some other problems. So I wouldn't say do that forever, but certainly when you're making these new changes in your life, finding a replacement behavior is 
really helpful. So like I said, if that's your goal was weight loss, that's probably the first place I'd start. But then there's two others that are not only very important for weight loss, but just very important for health overall. And those are sleep and managing your stress. And so if you're where I was during that time in my life, where I was switching time zones all the time, and I was really stressed from the job, I had started to put on some weight and I really wasn't doing anything significantly different with my nutrition at that time. So I would say if you have a high amount of stress in your life or you're, you have high stress job, like many people do, then finding ways to mitigate your stress is really going to help you pretty immediately. And that could be meditation. It could be yoga. It could just be any kind of movement that gives you stress release. And then as far as sleep, I've got a whole article over on healnourishgrow.com, lots of tips, but you've probably heard all them before, but it's actually doing it. That's the trick, right? So a really dark room, a, a room that's the proper temperature, somewhere between 62 and 68 degrees, getting rid of your electronics an hour before bed. I know nobody wants to do that, but at least at the very least, turn on a blue light filter and most phones and computers have that now you don't have to download a separate app or anything. So just starting to move again, small steps towards that. So maybe for the first thing in your room, maybe it's just making the room colder because that's pretty easy. So that's not going to stress you out too much, but again, just start small with any of it, I think is the best tip you can get. So you mentioned replacement behavior. Is that something that can be applied to everything that you just mentioned and then some, or is that really need to be narrow down into a, like a certain, like, like you were talking about drinking your calories. I think does it just apply to that or does it expand? Yeah, no, I think it's nearly everything. And this is something that I learned from my psychology training is, and especially addiction studies, because what happens in a lot of addiction processes, say, say let's just pick one that everybody's familiar with alcoholism, or you're trying to quit alcohol. And so what you typically find is you want to remove yourself from situations that kind of perpetuate that habit. So for example, for a lot of alcoholics, it would be going into a bar. You might want to replace going into the bar with going for a walk or having a chat with a friend or whatever it is. Um, And replacement behaviors can be a little tricky because some things, particularly when you're dealing with something in the addiction realm, you might just trade one addiction for the other if you're not careful. Um, And people that have addictive behavior tendencies, that's a pretty common thing. So people that, again, we'll go back to the alcohol thing. If they quit alcohol, they might start smoking or start smoking more, or they might start eating a whole bunch and, and go into like a, a food addiction kind of situation or a sugar addiction kind of situation. But so you do have to be a little bit careful with it where I think it is less troublesome are things more like snacking at night or something like that. So you replace snacking at night with having a warm cup of tea or any time that you find yourself reaching for food out of boredom, you instead go on a little 10 minute walk around the block. So those tend to be like easy replacement behaviors that are not dangerous and that don't um, cause any problems. But again, like if you are working with an addiction type process, then you just have to be a little careful. And that's where you might want to bring in the help of a professional just so that they can keep an eye on you as you're making that transition and make sure you're not just replacing one unhealthy thing with something that's equally unhealthy. This is something, so Zach and I were talking about this before we started talking to you, just about our own journey and how we both came from points in our life where we were drinking a bunch, we were way overweight, we were doing all of those things that we have since changed with small changes and and behavior changes. And it really occurs to me, occurred to me during that conversation, how much this is a mindset thing, because it's really easy to tell someone, yeah, stop drinking beer and go take a walk. 
But when it comes time to make that decision, what sounds more fun, sitting here and doing the easy thing and, have, and having a beer and watching the game or putting on my shoes and going and walking in the rain for 10 minutes? Hmm. For me, all of the changes I made happened at a point in my life where I said, enough is enough. I don't care that it's not as much fun. The, the long-term reward is worth the short-term sacrifice. If you're not in that place yet, how does someone get to that place? How do you how do you make that switch mentally to just decide that I, I don't want to be this way anymore? I don't want to struggle with my weight, with my depression, with my alcoholism. Like it's that's that's been one of the most frustrating things for me for me in this space is that there are it is really simple. The steps are really, really simple, but making the decision to actually act on them is the biggest obstacle that I think anyone venturing into the space faces. What would you say to that person who's who's not there yet and just they hear the advice, but it just doesn't sink in? Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head with that, because again, to go back to the example, just because we were using the example of alcoholism before, you kind of have that rock bottom moment is what people talk about when they finally make those changes. And so for some people, it will take that. Unfortunately, it'll just take that day where you finally just say enough is enough. And I, I, I feel terrible. Something's got to give here, or you have some health situation that like wakes you up again. So the trick is some things that we can try to get people to hopefully get to that realization or start to shift their mindset before they get to that rock bottom place. And you're exactly right. It is not easy. That part of it, it the idea is simple Just mm -hmm. say, start doing this other stuff, right. but it's not that easy. So the two things that I think are useful with that. And the first one, is probably the biggest one is to get into a mindset of what would a healthy person do? And so I think that puts like a really positive spin on it. And it can also apply to all those areas that we already just talked about, whether it's exercise or what you're eating or uh, changing your habits, but it's just like, what would a pers healthy person do? And start to shift your mindset into using clarity in your words to really put this, put a fine point on this. So to give you an example of that, I have people say to me all the time, because now at this point I've been lower carb for almost six years and keto for five. And so people will often say to me now something like, well, oh, I know you don't like to eat that. Or I know, I know you don't eat that something like that. And I'll say, look them straight in the eye. No, I can eat whatever I want. I choose to eat this way because of my long-term goals. Like I said, my family's health issue. And sometimes I go into detail and sometimes I don't depending on the situation, but it's, it's important to be precise with your speech because it, it changes your, it shifts your mindset over time. When you start to take on the words of a healthy person or take on the words of a person that is committed to a specific goal. So I think precision in your speech and and that travels over to precision in your thought too, which, which is where I think meditation is very useful. And so that's kind of my second thing. And the reason that meditation helps is it helps people realize that they are not their thoughts. So you can be the creator of this mindset. So instead of having those thoughts that we've all had, like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so fat. I'm just going to give up. Or I'm just so, I just want to eat this cookie and I'm just going to do it kind of thing. You can shift that in the moment when you identify those thoughts and through meditation, you get better at identifying those thoughts. Cause we think we're aware of our thoughts all the time, but how often have you all of a sudden caught yourself and you were just like on this 10 minute mental tirade about stuff that's not even true or, know, or, or two days in my case this morning. But yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. I know. So, so um, I think when you have a consistent meditation practice, it does allow you to catch yourself in those moments a little easier and allow you to shift the mindset by using the precise speech. So 
And people have this like really weird view of meditation or what it is, or they think that they can't do it because they're like, oh, my mind's just all over the place. I can't meditate. I'm like, that's exactly why you meditate. Right. <laughs> like, right. You got to just sit down and do it. And that's why they call it a practice right. because right. it requires practice. It is not easy. It's not like, it's not like riding a bike. Like you just pick it back up again. You've got to be consistent and you've got to do it over time. So that would be my keys to that one. <laughs> nice. nice. Well, you mentioned a word in there that's very, very close to my heart, keto diet. Um, (laughs) So I would love to hear you tell me more about the keto diet and tell me and the listeners, what is the keto diet? You you said you've been keto for five years. Mm -hmm. Have you, has that been strict keto or have you been in and out occasionally? Tell me more about that. Not really. And I'll say, let me just preface this with, I don't think that the way I do it is the only way to do it. I think there's a million ways to do it. And I don't like to get too dogmatic about this, but again, and to go back to the point we were talking about before about people shifting, the other thing that really helps. And I talk about this a lot on my, in my content is identifying your why. So I have based on what I said about my family's history and my personal health history, I have strongly identified my why, which makes every choice that I make on a daily basis, a little bit easier to do. It's not to say it's totally easy, but it does help because every time I want to say I wanted to go off track with um, keto or something or eat whatever, whatever thing I just decided I wanted to eat. Well, sometimes I do choose intentionally to do that and accept Mm -hmm. the consequences of it if there are any, but there really, for me, aren't, I don't have diabetes. I don't, you know, have any metabolic disease where I need to constantly be in ketosis all the time or anything like that. So if on a rare occasion, I'd say, Hey, I'd really like to have that. And it's something that's worth it. I think that's a really big key for people too, is like putting things in your mouth that actually are like wonderfully, super delicious and not total garbage. I think that you can occasionally do that and accept that and move on with your life. Um, But for example, if you go to Italy, if you ever go to Naples, Italy, you must have a piece of pizza. <laughs> like, that's sure. Just yeah. what it is. Now, that sense. is that normally on my keto plan? No, it is not. But <laughs> I guarantee you that I had a piece. Now, here's the here's the other thing about that. And again, this is not the only way to do it. Some people have full cheat meals, full cheat days, whatever it is they do. And if you know yourself well enough that you can do that and just be right back on track the next day, I say have at it. I, I don't <laughs> have, but it, just, it requires knowing yourself. I can do that with, and get right back on track, but I just choose not to because again, because of my goals, but anyway, so what the keto diet is for me. So there's, there's a little bit of a distinction. So the true ketogenic diet was originally developed for children with seizures that were unable to be controlled through drugs. And they found that this very high fat moderated protein uh, diet allowed them to get ketones flowing in their blood, which calmed the brain down and worked miracles for seizures. So that's the original purpose of the diet. And I, I feel like probably at this point, most people that are into health know that at this point, mm-hmm. the distinction for like a daily keto diet, just for overall health and wellness it can look a lot of different ways. It's typically not as high a fat. You're typically not going for super high ketone levels to manage seizures or anything. Although there might be other reasons you want to do that because the clarity that you get when your ketone levels are high and the way that your brain functions, like I write almost every day. And so for me, having a very clear brain and having a lot of ketones flowing is a good state for me to be in, but you don't have to have that all the time. Again, with my goals for health, I do tend to want personally a little higher levels of ketones because of all those reasons I already said. So 
I think it can look a lot of different ways for different people, but the main thing, the only thing that's required to get into ketosis and kind of be like a practicing keto person is to restrict your carbs. Mm -hmm. And you have to restrict them to a certain low amount in order to really produce ketones in your blood. So for most people that is under 30 grams a day, it varies based on your size, your activity, your muscle mass. There's a lot of different factors, but for most people, if you go under 30 grams of carbs a day, you're going to be in ketosis. And the benefits along with that, again, I have a whole article about the benefits of the keto diet and all that stuff at my website, but the main benefits, people experience regulated hunger. They experience regulated blood sugar levels, which means it's an amazing diet for uh, people that are diabetic or pre-diabetic. It's a great diet for many different purposes, um, including that original purpose of seizure prevention, but you don't need to be nearly as strict or nearly as high fat when you're practicing it for nutrition purposes. So just restricting your carbs and you're going to be in a good place if you ever want to try that. So, so that is what I did. I'm trying to think, I think it was three or four years ago now. And in doing so, I lost 70 pounds and, and I went into it with a really simple equation. Just keep my carbs under hundred uh, grams a day. And, and that was where I started. And I fluctuated and, and experimented with higher and lower levels. But I definitely, I, the, the mental clarity was there. The, the weight just melted off. I was driven to exercise every day because I suddenly had these like bursts of energy that I needed to do something with. And I've kept the weight off. I still would like to lose more and I need to get motivated and get back on track and create the habits and all the things. There are those, and there's going to be battles online constantly for food. Who's, who's right, who's wrong. But there are those that say the ketogenic diet is dangerous and you should not do it because it's too high fat and could lead to cholesterol problems and, and health issues like that. Are they wrong? Is that for specific people? What are, what are some of the warnings that, that people should maybe consider before trying a ketogenic diet? Well, again, I think it depends on your goals and I think it depends on your current health status. So for example, if you have uncontrolled diabetes, you're more likely to have amputations or death or blindness or any of these kinds of things, if you don't get your sugars under control, then you are to randomly have a heart attack or you might randomly have a heart attack anyway, because you're so unhealthy and overweight and have diabetes. Diabetes is a huge stress on your system. It creates tons of inflammation in your body. And that is all into going right to, if the heart attack is what everybody's worried about it, you're going to get there anyway. So I don't know if that's a valid answer in that case, because that person is again, has diabetes and particularly if it's uncontrolled. If you're a person like me, who's just like a middle-aged person who wants to feel better and is relatively healthy to start with, I would say everybody says there's no studies. Well, the thing is, let's look at the standard American diet. That diet is based on no studies either mm -hmm. or garbage studies. And let's look at what that diet has done to people. Yep. How mm -hmm. successful has that been? Yeah. So you, I, you would have a hard time convincing me that eating a diet of whole foods, meat and vegetables, which is what we evolved to eat. I don't understand how people can think that's unhealthy. It drives yeah. me crazy. Every time yeah. I hear this, like, oh, we need the studies. We need the studies. And I agree with that. It would be wonderful to have that. But par part of the problem with the research that's coming out right now, and there is better and better research coming out all the time in regards to keto for like a health protocol or for weight loss. But a lot of these studies, if you really look into them and, and you look at these headlines, these clickbait headlines that happen from about keto diet, and then you'll go look at the study there, what they're saying is low carb or keto is neither of the case. There's many of these studies, people are still getting like 40 or 50% of their calories from carbohydrates. Yeah. 
So you're not looking at the same mechanisms. You're not looking at people that are actually in ketosis. A lot of the studies that even go lower carb, they might may or may not measure for ketones to know if a person is actually in ketosis. And so any benefits that we think that we might be getting from ketosis, the studies up to this point have just not been that great. So I don't even know how much stock you can put into that. So and I do think, again, there are individual differences. There, there are always going to be people say, well, I tried it and didn't work for me. Well, and then I'm like, well, what was your goal? What were you trying to accomplish? How long did you do it? I mean, again, I think if you really look at what we evolved to eat, I just find it hard to believe that a diet of animal-based foods and vegetables that we evolved to eat is really going to cause any major problems. And then to go to your question about cholesterol, that was a rabbit hole. I definitely had to go down in the beginning because when I first started, I ended up having my annual checkup, maybe like a month or two after I started. And when I got my cholesterol back, it was like 500 total cholesterol. <laughs> and it was crazy. It's always I'm a little bit concerned, obviously, because up to this point, we've all had it pounded into us that cholesterol is one of the biggest markers of health. And if you ever want to go down a little rabbit hole with that, there's several things like watch the statin nation documentaries. Very interesting. Read cholesterol clarity by Jimmy Moore. That was a book that helped me a whole lot when I was trying to work through this in my mind, if I thought I should be worried about this or not. And then there's another person that's doing a lot of really great research in this area named Dave Feldman. And he explains how lipid metabolism works. And it makes really perfect sense how my cholesterol was that high when I just started restricting carbs and I was actively losing weight. And so your body's tapping into fat stores and it's shuttling around your body. And so once you understand more about how fat metabolism works, it starts to make some logical sense that maybe everything that we've been told about total cholesterol is not actually right. And then for women in particular, our all, and it might be the same for men, but all cause mortality for women is much lower in women that have higher cholesterol. And so cholesterol also has a component of immune function, which is something that I learned from Dave Feldman's work. And I just, I don't know, again, it's like, hmm, do we, do we buy into all this stuff that the drug companies and that these, the so-called research is feeding us, or do we dive a little deeper and see how saturated fat and this whole theory of cholesterol got created to start with. And that book, if you want to go down that rabbit hole (laughs) is big fat surprise by Nina Teichels. And it's uh, she's an investigative reporter and super interesting about how we got to this place with saturated fat. So for the cholesterol thing, I think everybody has to make their own best guess. Um, but most, most doctors you go to, I mean, if you had that number, I mean, she, my doctor was absolutely freaking out and telling me I need to go see a specialist and all kinds of, all kinds of stuff. So I can, it's kind of I a can, long answer. Sorry. About uh, that. No, that's great. I can relate to you. I, I actually, in the middle of ketosis, I went and got my numbers done too. And my, my cholesterol level was like 430 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just the doctor was writing the prescription for statins immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think in my case, like I had to go do all the research of like HDL, LDL, and then there's two different types of LDL and one's, one's better. One's not as good for you. So it was definitely a rabbit hole to go down to understand it because not all cholesterol is bad. In my case, unfortunately, I actually had a genetic marker that was creating the bad LDL. So my cholesterol level was actually dangerous for me. And through a whole bunch of other testing, we figured out that my arteries were actually starting to clog because of it. So it was like, I had to go down the rabbit hole and understand that. And I fixed it and my cholesterol is normal now without statins, but it's, 
it, it's definitely a, a topic of concern for a lot of people when we're talking about keto and it's something you, you need to go down that rabbit hole, but it's not all bad. It doesn't have to all be bad. No. And I couldn't agree more. And one of the things like with mine, my total cholesterol, there's so many things you can look at. You can look at ratios. You can look at a lot of things, but one of the reasons that my total cholesterol is so high is that my HDL is like 90. Mm-hmm. So if you put that in the total and you're, most people are like around 40, let's say that's already 50 points of it right there. But, you know, we are getting some research coming out. So Dave Feldman basically crowdsourced a research project, and they're going to take these people that they call lean mass hyper responders. So they it tends to be people that are lower body fat because your body starts using fat metabolism. We were talking about shuttling around those, those fats in your body, but they tend to get these really high numbers when they go low carb. And so what the study is going to be is they're going to take those people that are long-term this lifestyle committed to this lifestyle, basically, and do a calcium scan on their heart. And it's um, at a center out in California. That's like one of the premier centers for this kind of scan, really high sensitivity. So they're a scan them. They're going to let them live their lives, still low carb for a year. And then they're going to do a follow-up and what they would expect to see based on my understanding of what Dave Feldman said about that, what they would expect to see these levels is like, they compare it to familial hypercholesterolemia. Sorry, I had to say that really slow to try to get it right. Mm-hmm. But what, what they would expect, because somebody with that condition and that high of cholesterol, they see a really fast progression. And so within a year, they do expect to see more damage on or more buildup in the arteries. And so they're, they're finally, they're doing that study now. And so it should give at least people a little bit of comfort or not based on what they find. And of course, if we find, Hey, people are really getting more problems from this, more buildup in the arteries, well, then that's more information to evaluate. And then maybe you make some different decisions after knowing that, but I do think it'll be helpful research just as another point of data to see, make people that are having that either feel more comfortable or not. And like, in your case, you ended up finding out that you, you were having more problems. So that was, you needed to look at that and do some changes. And I I think that's the smart thing to do. I mean, I've had a calcium scan now because of all of this and just to make sure that I'm not doing anything that's going to create long-term damage. But again, I just, I just find it hard to believe heart disease. We never had this prevalence of heart disease until recent times. And so we evolved to eat meat and vegetables. I I find it hard to believe that the meat would be what's causing these issues. It's more likely to be all the stress and the garbage oils and any number of other things, sugar over time with all the inflammation. So I think that it's easy to want to blame one thing or to go down this thing. It's been so dogmatic for so long with the whole fat thing that it's, it's hard to pick it all apart, but I think they are getting closer and I think there at least is some new thinking around it. So anyway, that's just my two cents. <laughs> so I want to shift from uh, keto to another issue that you talk a lot about, and that's fasting. This is something that, that I do pretty much every day to varying degrees, but talk to us about fasting, the different times that, that people tend to do that, to do so. I know there are differences for men and women and how to approach that. So break down fasting for us, if you would. Yeah. So during that same time period, when I was evaluating, I think I said that my dad had gotten diagnosed with cancer. That's when I came across the Nobel prize for autophagy and started reading more about that. And so if people have never heard that term before, it's basically, it's based on two Greek words that means auto like self. And I forget the other root word, but it means to eat. And so it's like self eating. So it's your body's cellular cleanup process. 
And it happens on a continuum all the time. So it's always kind of happening. Your body's always doing this repair process. But what they found was that it happens the most strongly when you're not eating. And that is thus the indication for fasting. And that's what got me down that rabbit hole and got me on that program. And so, and also luckily due to yoga, fasting was not foreign to me because I had done it a bunch before for, for many, many years, not as regularly, not for as necessarily as a a real health protocol, but more like kind of a discipline and spiritual practice that often happens like with yoga, with some of these things. But then after learning that, I'm like, well, I need to do this more regularly if I want to try to prevent all this stuff. So the way that people can just get started with it, and you can do this no matter how you choose to eat. I think that's, what's so beautiful about it. It's one of the most powerful health protocols that you can do. And you you can continue now, of course, I'd still like you to eat better, but you know, you can continue to eat however you eat and still get a lot of benefit just by fasting, but just start, you know, just start by extending your, so I like to, I like to really focus on it more as an eating window. Cause I just think that seems more mm-hmm. positive than a fasting yes. window, but you know, you want to, if you can cut off one thing that'll help with sleep, since we talked about sleep is if you can cut off your eating by I try to cut it off by 6 p.m. If you can do it by 7 p.m., that's pretty good too. But you want your body to be kind of done digesting by the time you go to bed. And that's really going to help with your sleep. So say you cut, do your cutoff at 6 p.m. When you wake up the next day, 6 a.m., you've kind of, you've already made it 12 hours, which is sad to say that's, that's a pretty good place to start for a lot of people. Cause a lot of people are very snacky at night and they kind of keep eating all the way up through bed and they eat the first thing when they get up. So 12 hours might be where to start if you're real new to this, but I would say for optimal health, 14 to 16 hours, most days, Hey, if you wake up super hungry one day, eat, this is a health practice. This is not right. torture, right? So <laughs> some days if I just wake up hungry, I, I might eat breakfast that day, but typically most days don't eat breakfast. I'll eat somewhere between 11 and two, just depending on how I'm feeling. And I try to keep my eating window between six and eight hours. So, and that's again, for health autophagy purposes, most days, you don't have to do it every single day, but that would be a great place to start. And then extended fasting is kind of a whole different animal. There are some additional benefits that come with extended fasting. And I kind of have, I have an article also on that about benefits of fasting. I have it laid out in the types of uh, intermittent fasting. So there's all kinds. There's like one meal a day. There's um, alternate day fasting where you eat one day, you fast the next and do that kind of off and on every day of the week. I mean, there's just so many different types. So I feel like if you play around with it enough, you'll find something that works for you. And particularly the alternate day one that I mentioned, there's some good research on that for weight loss. So if weight loss is a goal, that might be one that you try, but the extent of fasting there do become some additional benefits. So insulin levels get to their lowest. I believe it's around 54 hours after 48 autophagy is the most strong. And particularly if you're not already eating a low carb diet, this process, when you start fasting for the benefits to kick in, takes a little longer. Cause when you're, when you're doing low carb or keto, you don't have the glycogen stores in your muscles. So you're already kind of most of the way there. Whereas if you are still a sugar burner or you consume more carbs than 50 to hundred, then you're going to have a pretty decent glycogen store in your body. So the first part of your fast is just going to be going through those glycogen stores And then once it kicks over to the more fat burning process, that's when you'll start to get ketones and get some more of the benefits from fasting. So does that, I don't want to go too long on that. No, no, that's great. That's a big topic. No, that's great. (laughs) It is. You, I mean, you, you could probably go for a couple of hours and I would just sit here nodding going, uh-huh. Like, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Keep yes. going. I, this is great. <laughs> so, so the opposite of fasting is eating, but what to eat. You have a book that's going to be coming out that has oh, yeah. some recipes in it. Do you want to talk about that? 
Sure. So it's obviously all low carb keto meals, but I think it's awesome because if you just want to experiment with this way of eating, you don't have to do it all the time. You just eat and eat a meal without carbs and see how that, see how that tastes you, see how it goes to you. Because generally the food, I mean, we're eating some pretty delicious stuff. <laughs> you know, a lot of the things that I'm, I'm going to say, I'm almost 50. So I grew up at a time where the low fat thing, and I've done it all. I was vegetarian for seven years. I did the low fat thing. I mean, I don't even think I think I had a pat of butter for like five years or something stupid like that. So, mm. so a lot of the foods uh, that we're eating, and particularly when people are transitioning to keto, it might look a little different because people kind of have this perception of eat all the butter and bacon you want. And that's what people are eating on keto. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just not true. It's right. a, a lot of whole foods, a lot of, you know, if you like vegetables, a lot of leafy green vegetables, it can, and fish and chicken, and it can, it can look very different for a lot of people. But in the beginning, particularly when people have been deprived of fat for, for a long time in their transition, they might enjoy some of those foods again, that they had kind of thought were off limits. And so it becomes a nice way to transition. So in the book, there's, there's different kinds of recipes. There's some of those recipes in there where it's like, okay, like one of them is a a, a meatloaf that has bacon in it and bacon on top of it. <laughs> so it's pretty decadent. Yes. yes. <laughs> very rich. And then there's other like fish or chicken, very light and like a lot of vegetable kind of recipe. So, but the beauty of it is they're already in under 30 minutes. So it's quick weeknight meals. And so I think anybody can use that, whether you're keto or not keto, you're going to look in there, you're going to find some just things that you might not normally think of eating or that are just kind of a different paradigm for you because you're, you don't eat that way all the time. So I think it'll be nice for people to check that out. And I'm planning more at some point in the future, but for the, for now, I'm happy that I finally just got one out because people have been telling me for so many years, like I should write a cookbook. And the last cookbook that I actually was cataloging recipes on and had started was when I was still vegetarian. So it's like a vegan and vegetarian cookbook. So it's kind of funny to me now that I'm making bacon and meatloaf. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one, when you said bacon and meatloaf, Zach already clicked by on the book. So you've already sold yeah. one. So <laughs> yep. congratulations on that. But two, I'm a vegetarian. And when I did do keto, I modified everything to a vegetarian and usually using a lot of uh, meat alternatives to just mm-hmm. sub out the same you know thing. Would you recommend that? How, how could a vegetarian approach keto if this is something that they want to try out? Well, it's definitely more challenging because again, part of the way that you get into ketosis is by restricting carbs. Now calorie restriction can also do it or higher activity levels. So there's some ways that you can kind of balance some of that. I think if you're a vegetarian, but I would say, I, I mean, this is not something I'm not committed to that at any point anymore. And so I'd say if that's a road that you want to go down, I have another great book to recommend. It's called Ketotarian by Dr. Will Cole. And he discusses in it, you know, some more. And hey, at this point, you're probably more of an expert on how you would do it. But I guess the only thing I would add to that discussion is to be careful with the replacement protein Mm -hmm. products. Because for example, for me, the when I said I had the previous health issues, it's a very long story, but the short version is I had ended up having like 16 tumors implanted all over my abdomen. They thought it was cancer for a while. It was not, thank goodness. But it, it, this came after I had been vegetarian for a long time. And I had been using a lot of soy products as yeah. a replacement for protein. And in, in both women and men, actually, soy is like a estrogen mimetic. And so you, you might be starting to consume a lot of excess uh, estrogen. If you start going down the yeah. road of using a lot of soy uh, products to replace your meat products. So that's just something I would caution. And so that's yeah. definitely what makes it more challenging is because 
and, and as just being a vegetarian, it's like the complete sources of protein. There's some thought that if you combine them and stuff, it can work out, but there's just, there's just a few things you have to watch out for when you go down that road, the B12 deficiency, because we only get that from meat or whether it's just not feeling optimal. So you just have to keep an eye on that. And I don't, again, I try not to be too dogmatic about this stuff because I think health can look a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so if you're eating a vegetarian diet and you're not losing muscle mass and you're feeling well, and you're not having you know, any problems right now, then stents of that can be good and just something different to try, but it's not a road I would ever go down anymore based on what I know now. Sure. Well, that's all great advice, great information. Where can we learn more about you and the book? So all, everything, all the social channels, all everything about me, except for LinkedIn is heal, nourish, grow. So any channel that you go to, that'll be my username. It's heal, nourish, grow.com. A couple of the articles that we mentioned are in there. Just go to the search bar, type in fasting, type in whatever it is you want to know about and the cookbook. I should have the purchase link ready soon, but in the meantime, I have a landing page and that is cookbook.healnourishgrow.com. That was Cheryl McColgan from Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can learn more about her and her work in the show notes for this episode at thefitmess.com. I loved talking with her. I just, it, it's so refreshing to talk to somebody when they're telling you keto is good, fasting is a good thing, right? And, and her, her take on think and talk like a healthy person right? This is all just really, really good stuff. And I want to point out, again, something she said that I think is important is that there are tons of critics of this diet. But there, there maybe aren't enough critics about the current American diet, because that's not doing anyone any favors either. So you can criticize all day long, fill in the blank here with diet of your choice. But the thing that we're told to eat every day isn't exactly right either. So Good idea to check with your doctor. Good idea to get some blood work done and find out exactly what you need to do. Maybe uh, even find a functional medicine doctor, which is something I'm considering doing because I just feel like that there's a, a lot of bad information about what we're told to eat from a lot of different sources. And so experiment, play around, but do it safe and do it uh, with guided supervision so that you don't hurt yourself in the process. So one of the things that's part of my diet, even today, is athletic greens. And it was part of my diet when I was eating keto because it's keto friendly. I started taking athletic greens because I really needed to have a supplement that tasted great, gave me all the things that I needed. And I didn't want to have to take 10 pills a day or spend all of my time cooking all the meals. I try and get my nutrients from food, but let's face it, we don't get everything we need every day from food. So athletic greens was a great solution for me. It tastes great. gives me everything I need for more energy, better gut health, optimized immune system. If you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, Athletic Greens has you covered. It has less than a gram of sugar, and there's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it actually does taste good. And for what you get, it's less than $3 a day. Which is far less than the amount I'm paying to swallow my fistfuls of vitamins every day. Exactly. And right now is the time to incorporate better health, and Athletic Greens is a perfect start. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash fitmess. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash fitmess to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That link will be on the show notes and it's plastered all over our website at thefitmess.com. And don't let the conversation about nutrition and good health habits end there. Be a part of our Facebook group where you can join us and fellow FitMess listeners for monthly challenges, accountability to reach your goals, and connection with our community. 
that link is at our website, thefitmess.com, where we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening. See everyone. We know this podcast is amazing and doesn't seem to lack anything, but we need a legal disclaimer. Prior to implementing anything discussed in this podcast, it is your responsibility to conduct your own research and consult your physician. You should assume that Jeremy and Zach don't know what they're talking about, and they're not liable for any physical or emotional issues that occur directly or indirectly from listening to this podcast.